Coyote. There's a picture of a coyote hanging up in my classroom. I've become fascinated with the coyote, and it has come to represent something of a class spirit animal. We've adopted the coyote because the creature represents a character trait central to success and fulfillment. Most of us are familiar with that Darwinian phrase, survival of the fittest. The term succinctly captures the basic premise of evolutionary natural selection, but what exactly makes one fit can be unclear. When we think of survival of the fittest, we often think of those who are the biggest and the fastest and the strongest. In a more contemporary setting, perhaps we picture those who are the smartest. However, the fittest, at least in terms of survival and evolution, are actually those most able to adapt. If the biggest and the strongest were most fit, dinosaurs would still reign supreme. But the dinosaurs couldn't adapt to a dramatically changing landscape, so they died. One could then argue that it is the smartest who are most fit. Intelligence certainly helped the human species rise to power. Still, we continually battle changing viruses that aren't thinking about how to adapt to our immunizations. And to quote Jonas Salk, if all the insects were to disappear from the earth, within 50 years all life on earth would end. If all human beings disappeared from the earth, within 50 years all forms of life would flourish. That says a lot about our significance, and maybe a little something about our intelligence too. Intelligence alone isn't enough. It is the application of that intelligence that is significant. Humans have been able to utilize our intelligence to adapt. It is our collective adaptability that has allowed the human species to flourish, and it is adaptability that the coyote so keenly represents. I've tried to glean some small bit of coyote knowledge from Project Coyote, writer Dan Flores, and other random documentaries and such, and I continue to be fascinated with how resilient and adaptable coyotes really are. Coyotes have long been viewed as a threat to livestock or pets, and as such, coyotes have been persecuted for generations. According to Project Coyote, about 500,000 coyotes are killed every year. That's about one a minute. Yet, unlike most animals that have been hunted so aggressively throughout human history, coyotes continue to thrive. This is due to their adaptability. Coyotes are willing and able to eat about anything. As their habitats are invaded, they spread. Coyotes will hunt day or night. They can exist independently or in groups. And when coyote populations are threatened, females naturally produce larger litters. The more we pressure coyotes, the more they adapt. We must be like the coyote in this regard. Human life has become complicated. In our industrialized societies, most people aren't focused on daily survival. Yet, so many of us trudge through our lives uninspired and without purpose. We fail to flourish our individual existences. We fail to remember that living isn't the same as just not dying. Yet, we, like the coyote, have a great capacity for adaptation. And the most adaptable among us 
are those who find the greatest levels of peace and prosperity and fulfillment and joy. Perhaps more than any other animal, we have the ability to change our environments. And more than any other known entity, we have the ability to change ourselves at a metaphysical level. We have the ability to adapt, and adapt we must. Creatures of the animal kingdom are forced to adapt to changes in their environment, and so are we. Our world is always changing. As a society, we ingest information and communicate with others as never before. Our personal lives are ever-changing. Nothing in life is stagnant, and we always face new challenges. We must be like the coyote. But the coyote does not bear the blessing and the curse of humanity, the consideration of who we are and what our place is in this world. That's the real challenge. As we move past meeting our basic survival needs, we're forced to examine ourselves and the lives we lead. We have to adapt to the ever-changing landscape of our own existence. And like the coyote, the more we're pushed, the better we get at adapting. And the better we are at adapting, the happier and healthier we'll be. There is evidence to support this. Researcher, author, and speaker Dr. Shimmy Kang touts adaptability as a key to success and happiness. I believe that to be true. Our lives are constantly changing and we must adapt or perish. That's evolution. And just as a species evolves through trials spread over millennia, we can evolve in our lives by utilizing the same principles. Like Red in the Shawshank Redemption explaining geology, it takes pressure and time. If we're going to adapt, we have to pressure ourselves. We must face challenges. We have to struggle and fight, struggle and fight, again and again, and we have to do it over the entire course of our worldly existence. That's not easy, but it is simple. Simple and raw and real. Adapt or die. That's the bottom line. Even if we're not fighting for our daily physical survival, without adaptation, we die all the same. Our spirits suffer a slow, painful death, and we shuffle along waiting for our bodies to catch up. The good news is, we can adapt. We're built for it, and I'm convinced that any achievement in my life, any sense of peace I maintain stems in large part from the opportunities I've had to practice adaptation. When I was two years old, I broke my femur. I spent some time in a body cast that ran from my ankle up to my chest and down to the other knee. I don't remember any of this. I've seen the pictures and heard the stories, but I'm convinced it was a valuable lesson in adaptation. I had to deal with the physical pain of the initial break and all the muscle spasms my mom would tell me about later, perhaps to remind me everything my brothers and I put her through. I also had to learn to still play and have fun and be a kid even when I couldn't walk. That meant playing on the floor or rolling myself around the driveway on my dad's creeper, that thing auto mechanics use to roll under a car. Again, I don't remember this, but I think it was a good thing, a chance to practice adaptation early. 
Kids are great at adaptation. They're used to it. We spend the first several years of our lives adapting very quickly, learning to walk and talk and read and write and all of these things in a very short amount of time. We learn for the pure pleasure of learning, and we work through failures undeterred. We adapt, and then somewhere along the line, we start to slow down. When we're young, we let go of the couch and take the first steps out into the living room, falling again and again, but still striving. Then, we get older. We start clinging to safety, too afraid to take those first steps out into life. That's why it's so important to keep pressuring ourselves to adapt. When I was five years old, I started training in martial arts. And I think that was my first experience in consciously making myself adapt. I had the good fortune of starting in a pretty strict and competitive taekwondo school. This was in 1990, three years before the first Ultimate Fighting Championship event and the rise of mixed martial arts. Taekwondo or karate were the only real options for a kid in Iowa at the time. But I was lucky to get into a good school that stressed not only the techniques of taekwondo, but also the core beliefs and discipline of the traditional art. It was yes sir and no sir and push-ups for falling short of expectations. My mother wondered what she was doing to her son, but I loved it, and I became set on earning a black belt. It took eight years of training, but I received my black belt, and over those eight years I learned a great deal about pushing myself, about learning and growing, about the endless power of pressure and time. I saw how I could change myself, how I could adapt. That served me well when moving to a new school and community heading into 6th grade, and it helped me when I decided to try my hand at classic school-sponsored sports. I played baseball and ran track, and I discovered a passion for football. I started those sports later than most, and I didn't really know what was going on. I played my first snap of football in 8th grade armed with little more knowledge than a Matt Christopher book I had read. Still, I showed up, and I fell in love with the work and physicality football demanded. I wasn't traditionally athletic, but I already understood how to work and be patient, how to rely on pressure and time. I spent hundreds of hours lifting and running and training. I continued to adapt and change. I became a decent football player in high school, and I even got the chance to play in college. College was more of the same. I wasn't a big-time Division I athlete or anything. I went to Upper Iowa University, a small NCAA Division II institution in rural Iowa. I played my senior year of high school ball as a 6-foot, 200-pound offensive and defensive lineman. If you're not familiar... That's a pretty small high school lineman. It's really small for college, at any level. So I started college as a seriously undersized defensive lineman. I also started on a medical red shirt, and my high school girlfriend promptly dumped me. That's all pretty insignificant now, but it seemed like a big deal when I was 18. I was ready to transfer schools. Still, I figured I would fall back on the old reliable process of pressure and time. I went to work. I lifted and ran and ate and ate 
and eight, I gained around 70 pounds in a calendar year. I was still a good bit smaller than the 300-pound behemoths I was playing with and against, but by the first snap of my sophomore year, I was a starting defensive tackle. Beyond that, I had formed some of the closest friendships of my life. I'm sure glad I decided to adapt instead of cut and run. All of those experiences helped me see the power of adaptation, and they provided me opportunities to practice that adaptation. In the grand scheme of the universe, football or taekwondo or a broken bone aren't all that substantial, but they gave me chances to stay immersed in adaptation. That's sort of what's supposed to happen when we're young, though. We create this image of learning and growth and change up through college age or maybe through our 20s. But then we kind of fall into our routines. We convince ourselves we're a finished product and we stop adapting. We settle into our careers and our families and we stagnate. The trouble is, our lives keep changing. When I left college, I felt like I knew what it meant to be in pain. I was sure I understood how to work and adapt. After all, I had spent almost my entire life banging away, battered and bruised, pushing myself through injuries and working toward goals. As is often the case when we're young, though, I didn't have a clue. After college, I jumped into adult life. I started teaching, married my college girlfriend, and after a couple years we were living back in my hometown in a house we bought with our two young children. I never really stopped trying to learn and grow, sometimes to the chagrin of those around me, but I was pretty well secure in my picturesque grown-up existence. But, as is always the case in life, things change. I was hit by some health problems things I've written about before, but I quickly learned I had known very little about physical pain. I didn't know about being in pain and feeling sick and still putting on a smile to teach a class or play with my kids. I didn't know about pushing myself down a trail of trials that didn't seem to end. I didn't know about feeling so miserable I was sure I didn't want to live very long if I had to live in that state. I had to adapt again. I had to keep moving even when I didn't want to, and I had to keep faith in the power of pressure and time. I had to believe things would get better, and I had to change myself. I had to get tougher. I had to push harder. I had to change my routines, and I had to change my perspective. In college... And in the post-college years before I got sick, my social life was built around eating and drinking. I brewed my own beer and grilled a high percentage of my meals. I maintained an otherwise generally healthy lifestyle. I always exercised a lot, but I was pretty much ready to eat, drink, and be merry at a moment's notice. Amongst other things, my health problems impacted my digestive system and I got to a point where sipping water was the only ingestion I could do comfortably. Five years, a couple surgeries, a lot of other tests and procedures and doctor's visits, and a good deal of effort later, I still eat a very restricted diet, 
and I have some occasional residual pain or discomfort, but I'm a lot better than I was in a lot of different ways. I'm a lot physically stronger, but I'm mentally stronger too. It's cliche, but those health challenges allowed me to take a deeper look at my own mortality, at the impermanence of things, and at how I wanted to live my life. They gave me a chance to really adapt, to get stronger and come away with a deeper perspective. And I would need that strength and perspective. Through all of those initial physical challenges, I didn't know the worst experience in my life was still ahead of me. Around a year and a half ago, my marriage ended. I've written about that experience before, but I feel it necessary to reiterate up front that I'm not trying to speak ill of anyone or place any blame on anyone or anything. I have no time for such things. With any challenge, I try to focus on my role in the problem. I try to take responsibility for my actions, and I try to figure out what I can do to adapt and move forward. As such, this is not a complaint or a slight. It is merely another example of the importance of adaptation. The worst moment of my life was telling my kids their mother and I were getting divorced and they would have to start splitting time between two different houses. My son Mickey was six and my daughter Claire was five. The hardest thing about it was how they tried to hold themselves together. They tried to be tough and not cry. They tried to act like it was fine, as if they were protecting their mother and me. And then they wept. They cried in a way they had never cried before. It wasn't the crying of a scraped knee or a broken toy. It was real hurt. Genuine sadness for maybe the first time in their lives. I'd live a hundred years of my worst health struggles to erase that moment for Mickey and Claire's lives. But I can't, and that's the point. That's why I bring that moment up here. Mickey and Claire have had to adapt. When they look back at that moment or they read something like this, they can feel sad or angry or however they need to feel. But I don't want them to sense any animosity from me toward their mother or the divorce or anything. I want them to understand that life can be difficult and things change, but they can change too. They can adapt. I've had to adapt too. I saw myself as a family man, as a husband and father type of guy. Obviously, I'm not a husband anymore, and that's fine. But an involved and supportive father is what I've always wanted to be. I'm still Mickey and Claire's dad even when I'm not with them. And because I teach, I still get more time together with them than a lot of parents have with their children. But the change has required adaptation, and it will require more. The greatest challenges for me, aside from just missing my children and wanting to support them when I'm not around, were things like the quiet of an empty house. When I spent my first few nights in a different house away from my kids, I realized it was the first time I had ever really been alone. I had both parents and two brothers growing up, and my mom was one of 14 siblings, most of whom lived in the same part of town as us when I was young. 
I grew up surrounded by aunts and uncles and cousins. I had a good group of friends in high school and college. I was always living with someone. I was married immediately after college, and at 32, I was lonely for the first time. I don't mean that to sound sadder than it is. Loneliness is a very real and powerful emotion, and I don't mean to make light of it or minimize the crushing impact it can have on people's lives. I just don't spend much time dwelling on things. I don't try to run from a feeling or a challenge. I let it wash over me, and I try to be very honest about how I feel, but then I get to work. I try to analyze the situation and start adapting. I try to look at every challenge as an opportunity to learn and grow, the pressure I need to truly adapt. Loneliness, to me, was another opportunity. If I could be with my children every day, I would. But that's not the situation. So I had to figure out how to use that pressure. I think the challenge of being alone is that there are no distractions from ourselves. We're left to face our scars. That can be hard. But it can also be good. Our modern lives are so fast, so busy, so distracted that we don't make much time for self-reflection. I decided to use my time alone for just that. I decided to use that time to learn and create and challenge myself, and I've tried to hold up a mirror. I've tried to identify the things I like most about myself, and I've tried to be honest about the things I want to change. That's adaptation. When I say we need to change, I don't mean to suggest that we emulate anyone else or change those fundamental characteristics that make us who we are. Adaptation isn't getting rid of everything, that's extinction. Adaptation is nurturing the good while minimizing the bad. In nature, this happens over generations, as desirable traits are passed down and less desirable ones are weeded out. That might might sound a little cold in our comfortable modern world, but that's exactly what we have to do in our own lives. We have to be honest about who we want to be and how we need to change. For me, in large part, that meant figuring out how to be the best dad I could be even when I couldn't be with my kids. That means learning and growing when I'm away from them in order to give them the best version of me when I am with them. It means continuously putting on that pressure and giving the time to really adapt and become more. It's the coyote, hunted feverishly and still spreading across North America. It's thriving instead of just surviving. That doesn't take away my children's tears or fix the things I should have done better. I've talked about a few areas where I have adapted. But there are countless more times I have failed, times I've been too dumb, too stubborn, too lazy, too egotistical, or just too scared to adapt. I've failed, and I'm going to fail a lot more. But those things are the pressure needed to adapt. I can't go back and change them, but I can use them to change myself. And that's the only real path forward. Thank you.